Hey everyone, before we get started today, just a quick favor to ask of my listeners. I'm really trying to expand the number of people listening to this podcast, so if you have a friend who might be into a specific episode, please share a link with them. Maybe you know someone who's into basketball, send them a link to the Craig Smith episode. Maybe you've got a friend who's into cooking, send them a link to the Tony DeSalvo episode. Maybe you have a friend who's dating on Tinder. Send them a link to the Andy Lawton episode. Or maybe you have a friend who's into everything. Send them a link to every episode because this is the design of everything. It's a podcast that uncovers creativity in all walks of life. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and this is episode number 21. call up strangers and ask them questions. That's cool. I think curiosity allows you to be interested in what you're doing. It's good to always be a little scared because it's not just your name that's on the story. It's the Washington Post. If I'm doing something or I'm about to do something that scares me a little, I take that fear as a good sign that I need to keep going in that direction because that's where growth happens. My guest this week is Elahe Azadi, who is a pop culture writer at the Washington Post. One of the things that I found really cool about Elahe's process for writing is that her creative approach reflects many of the notions of previous guests of the podcast. Much like rooftop landscape designer Jackie Harrison, she experiments with taking calculated risks. Similar to Professor Dan Jones, she emphasized the importance of understanding the greater context of the world. And not unlike last week's guest, Greg Lemon, she focuses on the current task at hand rather than dwelling on the past. Something else that's very interesting about Alahe is that she has Iranian parents who immigrated to the U.S., which gave her a very unique perspective that she was able to apply in her early journalism pursuits in a pretty entertaining way. Finally, her family's story came full circle when she was hired as a writer for the Washington Post. So this is my conversation with Elahe Azadi about the design of pop culture journalism. I'm Elahe Azadi, and I am a pop culture writer at the Washington Post. How long have you been here? I've been at the Washington Post for almost three years, and I've been writing about pop culture for almost a year now. Mm -hmm. And before that, you were in politics? Well, before that, for two years, I was a general assignment reporter, which means I basically wrote about everything, um, national and international stories. So it was a mix of like, I'd write science stories, health stories, arts and entertainment, a lot of breaking news, crime stories. There was like a mass shooting or terrorist attack or something like that. And uh, a lot of like the stories around police shootings and protests covering a lot of wow. those. A lot of sad, <laughs> sad so, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it's so my beat now is very different. And before coming to the Post, I covered Congress. So I had okay. the experience of being at a different publication. So yeah. I had experience of being on the Hill, but... I've just had different beats throughout my career um, and have written a lo- about a lot of different things. What's been your favorite? Hmm. 
I can't say I have a favorite because it's always like the one I'm doing at the moment. Oh, okay. Um, then that's your favorite. Yeah. But it's <laughs> like, you know, if you had asked me like two years ago, yeah, it's always the cool thing about being a journalist is every time you are on a new beat, it's like a brand new career almost in a yeah. way because you get to think about a different aspect of life. Um, so when I was covering Congress, when I first started that, I didn't think, I mean, I wasn't interested in politics or Congress at all. Really at all? No. I mean, I covered local stuff before that. And right before that job, I was covering race and class in DC. So I was covering local stuff. I was interested in local politics and everything. And when I came to Congress, it was actually, I was covering lobbying in Congress. And at first it just seemed like this big thing, like how am I gonna understand how this place works? Um, but it was a challenge and then I realized that I'm just a curious person. So whatever mm -hmm. I'm like thinking about, I very easily develop a curiosity around it and I start getting like really into it and thinking about it a lot. Okay. Yeah. And until the story ends and then do you follow well, up on that curiosity or? Yeah, well it's like I, I have found for me, and journalists are different. There are some journalists who will stay on a beat for their entire career, right? They'll always yeah. be a political reporter, for example. Right. Um, I don't know whether that's gonna be my path. It hasn't, I've been a full-time journalist for 10 years and I've written about so many different things and I enjoy that variety and I like being a generalist. So I feel like whenever I'm in a job um, or on a beat, I kind of can come to a point where I feel like, you know, where else can I go with this? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, that just pushes me to to think of a new beat. So the transition from being a general assignment reporter to being pop culture writer was, you know, I'm thinking about something different every day. And there's a set of skills you develop yeah. when you're doing that kind of reporting. Um, because every story you come to, you're brand new on it. You don't know anything about it. And mm -hmm. you have to figure out how to quickly figure it out and then explain it to other people. And how does that curiosity inform your approach to a story? It's almost like I'm not even thinking about it. I have to think about that for a moment. I think curiosity allows you to be interested in what you're doing. Yeah. Even though it seem it could seem like dull, if you're excited and interested about just learning about something, mm -hmm. then that shows through in not just the way you're writing it, but the kinds of questions you ask and the ways and what you inquire about. Like what information do you even inquire about? Um, and that can extend to you know, thinking like I would write these science stories and I would find something fascinating and I want to be able to convey that fascination through like the headline and how mm -hmm. I'm or just even the voice and tone in which I write so that other people can come at it that way rather than reading it as if it's like a scientific study published in an academic journal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like fell asleep halfway through that sentence. <laughs> what, so what's a can you give me an example of a headline or oh uh, you can make it up i don't okay because i can't even to. like remember what i wrote like two <laughs> days ago um well it's weird now because what i write about now people you would think people would be very interested in pop culture mm -hmm. um people would be very interested just in, in the subject matter it doesn't seem oh, like dull okay. subject matter because it's about popular culture right. which is just like it's the most relatable yeah entertaining and um i'm trying to think like, I just remember writing stuff about, 
Oh, I can't even remember half the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so when I was on the hill, like trying to find like funny ways to write about like the fiscal cliff or stuff like that, you <laughs> okay. know? Yeah. So, you know, like starting like little Twitter memes around those things. What was, what? well, today I just published this thing that was a playlist inspired by James Comey's written testimony that he, Ooh, okay. yeah, so I know it sounds, but he's going to testify tomorrow. And so today his written testimony was released. And so there's like all these very quotable lines in it um, that made me think of song lyrics. So I was like, I'm just going to put together this playlist of songs that are now like stuck in my head basically because of this. because of this like <laughs> bland like written testimony in the senate right um so it was stuff like kendrick lamar's loyalty because he has this line in there about trump telling him he says that trump said i expect loyalty right um and kind of repeated <laughs> that word a couple times so i'm like oh man this kendrick song's now stuck in my head so it's like i like bringing those two worlds together a little bit yeah um well i feel like pop culture and politics are uh, well more than ever blending. right yeah totally like i wrote this thing with a colleague during the transition that was um explaining the Trump transition using reality TV show tropes. Mm. So like really going in deep on the references yeah. uh, of reality TV and how like this is, it is unusual like the way in which the transition happened. And so here are some of the like things that are just out of like mirror images of how right. reality TV is. <laughs> History repeats itself. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, like my defense around those things is like, this is not just like supposed to be clickbait fun stuff, but I mean, the president became president in part and in large part because of reality tv yeah. pop culture so i am interested in it looking at at that space of like the political space through the lens of pop culture in a way that doesn't like turn its nose up at it but is trying to see what can analyzing this through pop culture what can that inform us about why things happen turn its nose up at like, pop culture? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pop culture. Yeah. As if like, oh, yeah, it's just so dumb. How stupid right. is this? And it's, I don't think we can write it off in that way because it is really, really relevant mm -hmm. um, in ways that we didn't think were. Scary ways. <laughs> I mean, that's up to whoever is listening to this. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but fair enough. <laughs> let's uh, Let's talk about that. When Trump got elected, as a journalist, and maybe you can speak on behalf of your colleagues a little bit too, were you guys excited? Were you like, okay, this this is going to be one slam dunk after another? Or was it like, you got to be kidding me? Well, I will only speak on behalf of myself. I won't okay. speak for anyone else. But I will say that... During the election cycle, politics kind of overtook a lot of like our, like any journalist that's covering something, politics is is now part of it. Like if yeah, you cover it's sports, weird. right? Um, entertainment, politics is now in every aspect of public life. And I think the expectation was after the election, maybe that would lessen mm -hmm. or people would have such a fatigue because it was such a long election season. Um, and then it was a surprise win for Trump. And a lot of people were not expecting that. And so I think like for me personally, it caused me to kind of rethink how I'm going to approach my job and the things I'm going to like focus on and think about more deeply. 
so now like one of my like little sub beats is covering Trump, the intersection of Trump and pop culture. So like okay. doing that. So like if he hadn't have won, I wouldn't be doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing that now. And, and that was like something I thought would be useful and like was worth looking, looking mm-hmm. at and bringing that kind of me being a reporter doing that. And so I think that was part of it. And, you know, the politics folks, I haven't like collaborated, collaborated very much with with anyone down there. Um, Like on one story we collaborated on when we found out that Trump was going to retain an executive producer credit on The Apprentice. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it was like, you know, these two like worlds where they are also covering stuff like in the realm of entertainment and and Hollywood um, and that industry. So, so yeah, I think for me, it just took me a little while to figure out like, okay, what am I, how am I approaching my job? Because everyone is just interested in talking about politics, talking about Trump. And I don't want to do this thing where I just like put Trump in every headline so people yeah. click on it. So that's not what I'm talking not about. Not as uh, curious about that topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like I don't want to do that because it just seems like I'm just trying to do clickbait or something right. for like it's gratuitous almost um, if that's it what is. everyone's searching for. But at the same time, like people do think about this a lot. And I think you can't really be like any like food like every section of any like media organization like it is part of it that's the broader context we're operating mm-hmm. in so yeah i think that's what it's been like Let's sorry work if that's backwards. not what the answer that you want i don't i didn't have a uh, this is a unbiased podcast great so. perfect for me <laughs> there's no right or wrong answer <laughs> so why get into journalism mm. Um, okay, so when I was in college, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I was like one of these kids in school who I was good at school, I gotta say, but I wasn't <laughs> like amazing at any like particular thing. I was just mm-hmm. like good at, at all of it for the most part. So it's kind of hard to identify like what's the thing you excel in if you're just like pretty good at yeah most of it and was not good at math but then got good at math um even got good at math I, yo i killed it in calculus let me tell you i was not good at math until calculus Ugh, i never even had to take calculus Ugh. yeah and i'm like why didn't nightmare. i become an engineer what's the problem <laughs> i could have been so much. so anyway i always liked writing since i was like a little kid so i knew i liked to write and I was in college and I had enough like AP credits where I was like, I'll do a double major. So I, I picked history kind of early on because I okay. took I took a African-American history course my first semester, which we didn't have that in my school. I grew up like in a very rural like white your community high in my high school. Yeah, we didn't have it. Like I didn't learn it, a lot of this stuff. I'm not stuff. sure many high schools have that. You'd be surprised like in cities and stuff there's like more but yeah anyway i i decided like oh i definitely want to major in this because i'm very interested in history and i've always liked it but i wanted something else that felt more practical so i like toyed with biology and then i'm like i don't really want to be a scientist or go to med school or anything and then i just kind of came down to the wire where i had to pick and i was like well (laughs) you know journalism seems like more of a utilitarian skill than majoring in journal and english so i'll just do that yeah for sure it's basically people what, will hire you yeah well yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's how i majored in it but basically what ended up happening was um as i was taking classes and doing internships i fell more and more in love with it and what really has what drew me to it was this notion of an exploration of reality and in a way in which you like my what i always strive for 
in like my mind, this notion of like being unbiased to me, it's like, how can I basically serve as like a mirror to the world, like to whatever, whatever reality I'm looking at or how can I, and how can I reflect it back as best I can. Okay. Um, and in a way that's accessible to a general audience, I like being able to write and communicate with a mass audience versus like academic writing or anything. And so, yeah, and that's kind of how it started. And then I've just done a lot of different things. Like in my first job at a community newspaper, I was there for like two or three years. I was a community newspaper reporter, but it was in a communities that had like a lot of crime, a lot of violence, a lot of oh, municipalities okay. too. Yeah. So I would like write a lot of crime stories about gangs. I went on police ride-alongs. Really? Yeah, I did like a lot of that stuff. I, I, had a, I got a lot of experience talking with grieving families. Yeah. And doing that kind of reporting and also just like sitting in like town council meetings at like 2 a.m. While a bunch of old people <laughs> argue about like mailboxes. Like that was like my early 20s. Right. Right. Very glamorous and like not making mo- much Big money. deadline coming up yeah. about the mailbox. Yeah. Issue. No, that was like hot stuff then. It was like town budgets. Like that kind of like um, like dog fashion show type like <laughs> yeah. stories and like writing about like six year olds. That's hilarious. So, so hard to get a quote from like a Like have you ever tried getting a quote from like a six-year-old it was so anyway it was just like a lot of that um which i think is good training for any journalist i think i was gonna say i feel like that probably informed yeah the future for you of how to make anything interesting yeah and you know i think that's like that's like more of the old model of how people made it in journalism was you'd started a community newspaper and you would write about everything and you'd be in a community where people would see you around Mm. and you would write about cops, town hall, the municipal budget. You would write features on like kids and schools and and interesting people in town. Like that's that's what you would do and you would learn all these skills because it takes certain skills to know like how do you get information from the cops? You know, like how, how do you get information? You from call the cops? them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on like the department. Like some some bigger departments have public information officers. Like mm-hmm. a lot of them do, and so you're mostly interacting with them. I mean, if you're covering police as a beat, you're probably developing sources beyond just the spokespeople. Right. Um, but yeah, but like that helps me when I was on the Hill and I'd be writing stuff about Congress. But say there was like some kind of criminal incident that happened and I needed some information. Like I knew how to just like navigate that and how to find the person to call and like in my most previous position as a general assignment reporter writing about crimes that took place across the country okay it's like this town in georgia Mm -hmm. i'm here i could i like figuring out how to figure stuff out and it's like once you know that then you can kind of I don't know the answer, but I know how to find the person who will have it or right. send me to the person I need. Yeah. If that makes sense. Now that I've had that learning experience with the podcast, right. I'm like, I want to try to get in touch with this person, talk to this person. Yeah. Most of the time I don't hear back. But uh, <laughs> but the act of trying. And right. Yeah. Right. And the other thing, too, about starting at a place like that and doing that kind of reporting, and it's something like I always try to remember is... I don't know. I don't think it's good 
as a journalist, I think it's very important to maintain a, a measure of humility mm-hmm. that you don't know everything because the moment you think you know everything, you're not going to be good at your job because the whole point is you have to be open to what you don't know and being yeah. wrong or like not knowing and being okay with asking like stupid questions or whatever and doing a job like that and other kinds of jobs or stories is just learning that lesson of you're not too good for anything. Yeah. You know, like who cares? I'm here at 2 a.m. It's Tuesday. I'm 23. There's like a bunch of senior citizens arguing about like a curb. This is what I chose. Like it's okay. Like I'm not gonna storm out of there being like I'm too good for this. That is <laughs> the I'm not. best place to ask a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, and just being okay with like looking like an idiot. Like when I first was on the hill. I mistakenly identified a senator. Like I thought it was one person and mm-hmm. it was another. And the other person it was, I should have known who it was. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know because I was McCain. new. I was new to it. But, you know, it's like that's kind of a common thing that happens with new reporters up there is like you don't recognize a lot because mm-hmm. a lot of them look the same. So <laughs> Old white guys in suits? Yeah, it's just like really hard to tell them apart. I think there should be a Shazam, but for face recognition for these guys. <laughs> make a lot of money if anyone's listening <laughs> but yeah just like okay that's mortifying but also who cares just yeah. like whatever <laughs> yeah you just apologize and yeah move on. or just like I, I remember looking back at some of the questions i would ask in the very beginning of my time up there which it is an intimidating place to be and thinking oh my god like mortified now but being completely ignorant in the moment mortified then, about the questions you yeah asked. just like i was such a like how did i they were probably thinking who is this person but you know, Wh- that's what's not, an example? No, I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't give an example. I mean, honestly, the like mistaking the senator thing was pretty. That mortifying. was the biggest. Yeah, like that was the biggest one. You know, when, when you're younger and as a journalist, and especially when you're a woman, and if your job is to cover like elected officials or people mm-hmm. with some kind of like power like that, um, it might not be elective. It should be businesses or whatever. And you're a young woman, in my experience, and other people I've spoken with. Sometimes they can treat you like, oh, you're just like um, a little bit clueless or just like yeah. they're not intimidated by you. And so I always tried to like, how can I recognize that that's the, like the feedback I'm getting, but also flip it on its head. Oh, so okay. like call it the Colombo method. Ooh, yeah. do tell. My dad does this because he is an immigrant and has a thick accent. So sometimes people don't think he like knows what's going on. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, you don't think I know. I know exactly what's going on, but I'm not going to like tip you off. <laughs> so like that's how, you know, someone like ta- it's kind of being patronizing to me. This doesn't happen to me anymore. Um, but when I was like in my early 20s starting out, this would happen. And if someone was being patronizing to me, I'd be like, okay, you're not intimidated by me. That's fine. I'll let you like let your guard down basically. And mm-hmm. I would keep asking questions like, oh, can you explain that again? Like, you know, just get them talking. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not, if your guard is not up, you're going to say some stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> all right, you're going to say some stuff. Then I'm just going to put that in the newspaper, you know? So, so yeah, that was, I, it's just like kind of learning that even though like, the world may not be structured in the best way and that's kind of not so great that mm-hmm. someone would talk to me that way how can i just use that the, the tool i have the best i can yeah that's pretty clever the colombo yeah the colombo like oh, can you explain it to me <laughs> pull out a cigar it was very confusing <laughs> who is this 23 year old with a cigar yeah and a lazy eye what's happening with this girl <laughs> 
she just slips right in and out of it. <laughs> but you know, I would get stuff from people like, "Wow, your English is so good," and I just really, yeah, Whew. yeah. How do you react to that? I imagine the disappointment on your face. Yeah, I think like when things like that would happen, I'd just be like too stunned to respond. Or I'd like to think I probably said something clever, even though I don't know whether I actually did or not. <laughs> but people would also ask me a lot about my name because that's the other thing as a journalist. You're calling strangers all the time and mm-hmm. leaving your name. And my name is not common, so it would open people up immediately to asking about my background. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is not, I don't want to talk to you about this right now. <laughs> well, could you use that as a way in? Or just to get the dialogue started. I, I'm just mostly annoyed by it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And if it's like uh, my my best face that I put on with it is I just kind of indulge them and let them like ask and then I'll let them talk about their Iranian dentist and mm-hmm. then I'll move on. <laughs> I go, that's nice. <laughs> Me too. I have an Iranian dentist. <laughs> what other hurdles has has there been being an Iranian woman? In this field? Yeah. Mm, I mean, I and if you talk to other journalists of color, so I think it's like if you're not a white man, basically, sometimes, and it's not unique to journalism, but there's like the whole imposter syndrome thing where I, it's not so much that things are closed off to me, but mm-hmm. that when I'm in a space, I'm very aware that I'm not a white man and that this is a space filled with white men and like feeling like, should I be here? Do I actually, I felt that a lot. Um, I felt that a lot in the beginning when I was covering Congress because the, the press corps, you know, it's mostly white, a lot of men, um, and people who are also have been doing it for a while. So there's always that. Um, and then also people who, um, not everyone, but there are people who's like, and I meet even now whose parents are in journalism or in these kinds of fields. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking like, my dad has an Italian restaurant, you know? (laughs) And so like, I'm like, they don't really get like, and I'm here and I'm like, how did I get here? You went to school, you studied journalism. (laughs) And that's the other thing is the field right now. It's like, very competitive it's hard to get jobs and stay mm-hmm. stay in i've been laid off before i've worked at places that went under i half a lot of the people i started out with are not in it anymore really? um, okay. it's just really hard to like especially in the beginning um if you i was lucky because i had actually financial help from my parents otherwise i wouldn't be able to have oh, stuck okay. with it right it's good so, they got that italian restaurant yeah <laughs> i know i mean but it, that that's why i think a lot of people don't stay in it and it's unfortunate because when i think about diversity in journalism i don't think just in terms of like racial diversity ethnic diversity religious diversity whatever it is but also like class diversity and Mm. if you're coming from a family it's working class family and you have to be completely self-sufficient you know i would have made a lot more i would have made more as a waitress in the beginning of my career for many years than as a journalist um and i was working very long hours with the support of my parents you know and also like culturally I mean, there's a stereotype of like a lot of like Middle Eastern immigrants, Iranian immigrants, that they want their kids to all be doctors and lawyers and engineers and journalism doesn't Ooh, seem okay. like a very prestigious. Now I have the stereotype. Yeah, now you Perfect. got it. Now I've oriented you. <laughs> I can tell you why I'm weird now. Um, but my parents were always like, 
very, very supportive of me just doing what I like was passionate about and they didn't care about, oh, you're not making like tons of money yeah. or to them it was prestigious that I That's was doing great. This. So I'm really, really lucky um, that they supported me in multiple ways. It but is prestigious. You work at the Washington Post. Yeah, now it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it is. Yeah. Um, not to disparage any other place I work for. They were always proud of me. But, um, <laughs> okay. but I've spoken with other people who come from similar backgrounds and it's different, you know, the feedback mm -hmm. they get from, from their communities or whatever. But yeah, the imposter syndrome thing is a big thing. And I remember interviewing here and when you do interviews here you meet with a lot of people uh -huh. and one of the meetings you take are with the top editors Ooh. which is an intimidating yeah, meeting to take sure. um and i like uh, prepared for this extensively and kind of knowing this space is going to get into but as i'm sitting there all i can, like i i'm trying to not I'm like very conscious of 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 knowing that my dad, when he came to this country, one of the jobs he had a lot of odd jobs in D.C. and he was working like restaurants, doing all sorts of stuff. And one of the things he did was he had a couple stints because it's like a day to day thing of working in the mailroom at the Washington Post overnight, oh, really folding the copy of the Sunday edition. Yeah. Um, and I'm like thinking like, my God, like things have really, yeah. Uh, and just, I don't know if it's for full circle, but more or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just not, and like allowing myself to not be scared by that. And, and more like, it was very emotional for me like, yeah. even coming here. Cause my dad, when he came to the States, he came to DC and he did that. And this was like the epicenter of like where our American story started. And it's just like very emotional in that way. Yeah. But like trying to like connect with that and not like, oh my God, do I belong here? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, you know, I will say, like, the people I talk to who start here, like, I've had conversations with people and they all feel like, oh, this is like, it's kind of scary to be here because mm -hmm. it is a big deal. And I think it's okay to, I think it's good to always be a little scared. Well, it's going to make you work harder, right? And it'll make you be careful. Uh, in what sense? You want to get your story right, oh, okay. right? Like you want to be careful with what you're doing um, yeah. because it's not just your name that's on the story. It's the Washington Post. Mm. So it's really important not for just your own sake to be accurate, to be ethical and all of those things. But if I write something up here, let's say something silly. It could affect a lot of other people's jobs in the way like people trust whether people trust them or how they view the organization. Right. Okay. So it's like a responsibility that I think it's good to always be a little scared. <laughs> yeah. keeps you on your toes <laughs> I love that you're like looking yeah, around like, as you're saying no, as soon as you like it too like, yeah, yeah I'm like who's watching me um, so yeah okay so you're writing these stories news is mo moving at a fast let me get this sentence out properly news <laughs> is moving at a faster rate than ever right how do you oh, keep up with it I how know. do you I know. Get everything right. Well, I think it's easy to be distracted by all of the news that's coming out. Um, and I think it takes like an extra measure of discipline. Like I'm realizing for myself um, that when I'm working on something, I have to just put the rest of it down and focus on what I'm working on. 
Put um, the rest of like Twitter, not looking oh, at that. Okay. And just yeah. like, even though other stuff is happening, if I have a thing I'm doing, I need to just like hit pause on that other stuff. And I mean, it's interesting because in a, when I was doing more breaking news, I like doing breaking news because I can be very fast. That's like more of my strong suit than maybe other things. I know oh, I'm strong in being fast um, and finding stuff quickly mm-hmm. um, in like that kind of situation. So yeah, stuff moving fast, but like I felt like there's like an adrenaline rush with that too yeah. that like keeps keeps me very focused on what I'm doing. But you know, if I'm writing a story about that has nothing to do with like the latest story about the White House or whatever it is, you know, something happening internationally, um, it might be distracting, but I need to kind of like focus on what I'm doing. That being said, I think as a pop culture writer, and I'm trying to remember who said this, a very famous writer said this, that it's very important for that kind of journalist to also be very well read in all news, in all areas. Oh, you know who it was? I think it was Frank DeFort who just recently passed away. He was a sports writer, um, this renowned sports writer, Mm -hmm. and he would do commentaries on NPR as well. And I think that's what he said about reporting is like, you need to, it's just, you need to know all of it. Yeah. And I think like, for me, that's helped that I still maintain a curiosity about the, all these other things that I've been exposed to through my work. Um, Well, I would think with pop culture, you can reference those other things too. Yeah. And that kind of speaks back to what you were saying at the beginning. Um, You didn't say this word for word, but the gist of it was, (laughs) you know, speak to the top of your intelligence, even though Mm. you said you're writing about pop culture, you want it to speak to a large number of people. And I would think having... All of those influences and understanding all of those things that are outside of pop culture helps. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're going about it that way, you need to understand the context you're writing in it. And Mm -hmm. even if you're not referencing all that stuff, you need to be aware because that's going to help you navigate how you tell your story yeah i can't be oblivious to all this other stuff happening (laughs) right right? because then it's like what what does she understand what these words mean you know so so yeah just knowing all of that i think is is useful and also like covering pop culture at a place like the washington post is is its own challenge which i i'm like excited about and that's one Mm. of the reasons i was excited to to um do this particular job um because the in, uh, in some other beats, there's always like every day there's like the top news of the day. And in this area, a lot of that top news, it's not stuff we would just write about. Like who's dating who? Like who cares? You yeah. know, like that sort of stuff, which populates a lot of the like entertainment. Sure. Um, and we're also not trying to do just like covering the industry, just like as a, at least in this section, um, just industry stuff, heavy industry stuff. So it's okay. We're going to write about a lot of the like pop culture things like who's dating who we're not going to write about that unless we have something to say about it. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just writing it straight. Um, a lot of the time, I mean, sometimes there's just news. that's big news. Um, that <laughs> right. just right in our space. Right. So like <laughs> Kanye West and Kim Kardashian have a baby. Yeah, or Inevitable. like when Beyonce has her babies, like there's going to be a plan for that. Right. It's a big deal. And that's fine. And that's okay. I'm going to write that story like as a reporter with like things verified and include mm-hmm. information that you care about and, and all that. Um, You're going to call Beyonce, get a quote? I'm going <laughs> to reach out to her rep <laughs> to confirm the birth of her children. But yeah, so there's things like that. But then 
a lot of it is like, what's our way into this? What do you mean by that? So if there's like a big topic of the day that everyone's talking about, like, how are we going to write about it? Mm -hmm. Like, what's our way into this? What is our, I don't want to use the word take because I think take refers, has come to mean just an essay that's commentary on this thing, which like those, those are useful too. But like what aspect of this can we kind of hone in on, focus on? So that sort of thing. And how do you figure that out? It's just like having thinking through for yourself and then also like having conversations with colleagues like through Slack and like brainstorming um, mm-hmm. about things and kind of collectively coming up like I had this interesting question or this is da, 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 that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you might just kind of come up with a specific idea too. the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial, for instance, is like an example of when that came out, I was like I. I, first of all, I started just live. I wa- I was watching it and then started live tweeting by watching it. Uh-huh. My editor was like, can someone just write about this? So I was like, okay, I'll just not live tweet it. I'll just write what I was going to live tweet. Right. Do it in that format. Right. And it did. I was, it was real. I was really proud of it actually. Cause it was funny and all, all that. And I realized with that sort of thing, like that's the kind of thing where the temptation is to write a take about mm. why something is problematic something like that and I just didn't I didn't want to read something like that so I wasn't gonna write something like that yeah like with some things like that I just want to engage with it at the level that it is and I was just like okay how can I just be funny about this thing and still like offer some kind of critical analysis but in a way that isn't a 500 written word essay yeah um so that was kind of right it's like (laughs) well we needed to write something about this thing because it's a big thing everyone's talking about it's like this moment in the zeitgeist what are we going (laughs) to say about it and i'm like i'm gonna like write this funny thing where i do like a second by second breakdown of the commercial and kind of give my commentary (laughs) on all the scenes so yeah that's like an example of like a way into it yeah and that's a really creative solution to that problem. Yeah. That problem. That problem <laughs> Kendall Jenner's Pepsi commercial. Yeah. It's a problem for more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I imagine though you get to let your personality shine a little bit more with pop culture mm. than if you were <laughs> writing about a recent shooting. Yes. Obviously. Those comparisons, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, there's just some stories that you just write straight anything involving death you know like just straight news um and in a lot of the breaking news stuff like the thing about breaking news writing is you're just going very quickly and actually being creative is like takes a lot of time it takes a lot more time to be creative right um than just kind of following a formula that i now it's second nature i know what that formula is i know like what a lead is what goes there like who to call like how to find it where to put it how to do all that um, and being creative takes more time. And one of my goals is to show more of my personality through mm-hmm. it, um, which does take some reorienting and reminding for myself. And there's, I I feel very encouraged. I, I, I love working here because I feel like there is this encouragement to experiment, obviously like within bounds of reason, yeah. um, but just kind of trying different things. And so that Kendall Jenner Pepsi thing with like another kind of big legacy publication approach it that way. I don't know, but they were just like, go for it. Um, (laughs) And so that was like a good example for me of me just 
realizing like, oh, I can just let my personality shine through this. With science writing, I tried to do that a lot too. I wrote a bunch of stories about like lady animals that don't need male animals. Oh, lady animals. Yeah, lady animals. is <laughs> like a whole genre of coverage I was very into. So it was like... Some headline I wrote, like, Lady Snake gives birth after being alone for eight years, doesn't need, like, <laughs> males. You know, obviously, like, I'm anthropomorphizing and, like, putting all that on, on animals. But, like, that kind of just voice. And and Twitter's been useful for that because I, I feel like I understand how to be appropriate on Twitter. <laughs> um, how to be appropriate? Yeah, like, as yeah. a journalist. Okay. Um, and not, like, writing stuff that is unseemly for like yeah someone's gonna go scrolling through there at some I know, point oh god so. <laughs> i shouldn't have said anything but like i i understand like the that space of like and what voice looks like there and so and also the character restriction forces you to like be creative in like a short mm-hmm. space with limited limited space and so kind of adapting that kind of voice and being more conversational and also I have like a lot of really talented colleagues here who I really look up to and I'm always amazed by their writing like we've got these like critics and I'm just blown away by how quickly like writing a good piece of criticism is very hard and I'm like amazed by what what they do and they can do it very quickly and they let their personalities shine through too so that's it's like inspiring to read other people. Do you think that's important? To read other people? Well, no, to let your personality shine. Um, I think it's that's actually kind of like a debate right now in journalism because everything is kind of moved towards being more centered around your personal brand. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on what you're doing. Again, if you're writing about like police shootings and things like that, like we don't need your voice yeah. in, in this. Yeah. I mean, your voice in that sense could be if you're writing like a feature and you are doing a masterful job of like one writer to look up is Eli Saslow, who's a writer here and one of the best feature writers in the country. And he is doing reported work. And I wouldn't say that he's a voicey writer. He's not putting in his voice, but the way in which he reports and writes, it's very poetic. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's fun to read. It's like, or maybe fun isn't the word, but. It's very Exciting. immersive, you know, and it feels like like that was actually one of my dr- big draws to write uh, journalism is narrative nonfiction kind of narrative journalism, which mm-hmm. is that's the style of that where it reads like a narrative story, but it's all reported fact. And even the structure of your story, it has to match reality, right? You can't it has some what? Match reality. Oh, boy, that's a that's a calendar word right there. Yeah. Well, I know, right? <laughs> well, it's like you can't present a story that kind of infers that someone did something for a reason when that's mm. not the reason you know mm-hmm. um, even if that person ever told you you observe why people do things if someone's like I love my kids and then you're around them all the time and it's like where I'm not seeing that at all <laughs> you know or like you're around you talk or this is probably a better example you're writing about someone and they never tell you what kind of parent they are but you observe it and they're like very loving and mm. they and like you can see after spending time then you can write your story in a way that reflects that right yeah okay. they don't have, it's not based on an interview i mean you might be asking other questions but you're not going to ask like do you love your kids like right you can say it and that's totally yeah understood. or you can ask like okay tell me about what are your fears about this person or like what do you do or what did you do in that situation and through that kind of constructed. Mm-hmm. Do you have mentors here at the post? Oh, I don't know if I should 
tell them that they're my mentors. <laughs> but I, I mean, there are a lot of people here who I look up to and I feel like I can ask for advice and I'm just like blown away by the things they've done in their, their career and they're very nice yeah. and generous with their time. Like people like David Barenthal, really great guy. Um, he just won the Pulitzer for, uh, for national reporting. Not bad. Not bad and very nice person. And he was the first reporter, I think, in 26 years or 24 to win a Pulitzer for campaign reporting. Oh, wow. And the previous person, David Maris, also won it. And he's at the Post and won that. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like people like that. And there's reporters here, Mary Jordan and Kevin Sullivan, who are married. And they won a Pulitzer together when they were in Mexico City. And they've been foreign correspondents. And they're back here in the States writing about, like, kind of America and traveling around. Mm-hmm. And they've just done so many different things in their careers. And... When I was a general assignment reporter, because I was writing about a lot of different things, if I was kind of, I remember writing a lot about Ebola, so like consulting and talking with the healthcare health team about that, because that's our area of expertise. And yeah, and there's like editors here, like Josh Dulac, who was like the person who hired me here. He's like a, a, someone I talked to and asked for advice mm-hmm. and good person for guidance. Um, he came here, I think, as a music critic and then was working on an investigative team for a while and just doing a lot of different things and became editor of our team. So was also used to doing a lot of different kinds of right, reporting yeah. and writing. That's one of like the best parts about being here is you are just, I work in a place where the people who are the best at what they do among the best at what they do are here. Yeah, it's and incredible. you're seeing them every year walking yeah, by them. Yeah, and I'm getting hall. coffee with them. I'm like sharing bylines on stories with them. Like one of my peak <laughs> achievements was Robin Gavon, who was our fashion critic and has won a Pulitzer for her criticism and she's very very good um she was like at i think new york fashion week and was going to the yeezy fashion show was sending me feeds so i was like writing it up so we got to co-byline a story and oh wow co-byline a story with robin gavon is a really big deal for me (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah so like stuff like that and i think like i ended up doing like co-bylining something with eli saslow too because of like it was some breaking news thing Mm -hmm. so like stuff like that is very cool it's still so cool to see your story in the newspaper like that's something that I kind of didn't have for a little while I was in the beginning of my career and now I'm like back to seeing my yeah it's really cool do you think it'll ever not be cool I mean it is easy to kind of like (laughs) let it just like oh where's my story in the paper so I it's not that every day when it's in there I'm like oh but like it's I try to have those grounding moments for myself yeah because like with anything if you're in, it's all about like your outlook and your approach to anything in life. I could have the same job as someone else or be doing the same thing or comedy, whatever it is. And I could be really like down about it and only Mm -hmm. see the negative and, and lose that perspective. Cause it's very easy to get like annoyed or start complaining about stuff. But if you just like, I try to ground myself every day, like set a moment aside to do that just in life you know like just take stock and remember that's nice yeah i like meditate it's like a thing oh really yeah yeah Yeah, i'm into it so has that helped your writing probably not (laughs) probably probably not i think it helps everybody for the most part i think it just helps my like sense of sanity (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know i'm sure it helps a lot of things but it's like eating breakfast helps my writing you know (laughs) in the same way (laughs) fair enough (laughs) yeah that's kind of how i think of it 
So you've been in the field for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Has your outlook on the world changed at all? I think my outlook has matured. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an experience that kind of made me rethink all the things. I mean, I've definitely learned things about how society functions or things other humans are capable of doing to people and that and seeing what that looks like like a little more up close than someone who's just reading about it or watching it on TV. Yeah, cuz I was like in my early 20s, right? And so I don't want to say I'm more cynical. Oh no, you just said you <laughs> meditate and you take stock of how great Yeah, but you got to be cynical. I mean, I don't want to say like cynical in the sense of like I think once you kind of see how certain things function, you're like, "Oh, this is how it works." Okay. So rather than like, "Oh, if something bad happens, this is going to be the result." Well, if you've seen so many times crimes are committed and people are victimized mm-hmm. and what happens right like as it as by way of example or like being on the hill and seeing a lot of work put into like a bill passing one chamber and just knowing that this is like an exercise in futility because i know that it's not gonna (laughs) yeah right and you're like i'll write about it anyway yeah well and it's like okay but you know i think to me i don't think of that as cynicism it's like okay this is the world yeah like and i'm writing about institution like this is just what it is it is dangerous, though, to kind of fall into this pattern of being too cynical and or and it kind of goes back to that thing I was saying about humility is like you just have to kind of always be open to whatever's going to happen. So one example of this would be when I was a congressional reporter, there was a primary, I think it was a primary race, special election, something like that, where the like second most powerful person in the House of Representatives was up for reelection, had tons of money has never lost. I don't think he ever lost. And uh, the he was the House Majority Leader. That person, a House Majority Leader losing has like never happened before. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, not during a regular election season. People weren't really paying too, not many people were pay, paying close attention to it. And I remember being in Home Depot and like getting my blinds, like getting blinds cut and me looking online and seeing that this guy's about to lose. Yeah. And just emailing and all of us being like, oh my God, like freaking out because this is a total shock surprise. Mm -hmm. So he ended up losing his seat. Um, Huge like political upset. So I think it's like those sorts of things that you just write off like the inevitability of something happening and not realizing, like just being open to anything happening. Yeah. Um, It's just important to just, and things like that will shake you out of out of your out of getting your blinds cut. <laughs> I know. Well, I just always remember that because I'm like, yeah, we didn't even like no one, and it wasn't just us. It was like no one was really. It was like a de- like a definite political, total political upset. Something yeah. like that had never happened before. But yeah, I will say like worldview changing. I've I have been able to like talk to and be in so many different places and meet so many different kinds of people, have them share their experiences with me, including talking to people on like the worst day of their lives. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of experience. I think it's just, you're just more, you're woken up to like 
what it means to be human and just seeing mm. humanity and all its different ways and functions and whether that's like a grieving mother or it's seeing how what it looks like to get a bill passed or like how lobbyists have influence and what that looks like and mm -hmm. like the ways in which people try and spin each other or spin you and I mean it runs a gamut doing that has been and I, lo I love it because I get to talk to I also get to talk to people who are very passionate about what they're doing so when i would write science stories you're talking to a, sci a researcher who spent like four years of their lives on something yeah <laughs> and they're like oh my god i get to explain Finally, in like 20 minutes talking yeah, yeah but it's also like 20 minutes of like a conversation and so it's like the thing they've dedicated so much of their life to yeah and i'm spending like a day on it you know right so it's like okay they are very so it's just i love talking to people who are also just very into what they do mm -hmm. i get to call up strangers and ask them for questions that's cool and they'll cool. like tell me answer it's like crazy that people like will respond to you <laughs> i've been shocked with the podcast so far yeah Who, who's responding that's great that's same same surprise yeah. except you've been doing it forever so no i haven't been doing it forever for 10 years for 10 years <laughs> but like this story i'm working on with co comedy i'm talking to comedians mm -hmm. about comedy yeah we're just talking about the thing that you think about all the time and that you're doing all the right. time that's cool how has going from community newspaper to the Washington Post made it easier to talk to people? Does working for the Post give you more access oh, yeah. instantly? I yes, assume. yes, yeah. for sure. I worked for a little while at a startup, so it had a name no one knew. And mm -hmm. it was like kind of hard. People, you have to explain who you even are. <laughs> And now it's like when you say the Washington Post, like I don't have to explain anything. Right. Right. And you also get the calls back like in a way that's part of the, what I was saying earlier, though, about the responsibility that comes with being here and like yeah. always being a little scared because, yeah, people call you back because the name means something. So you have to make sure it continues to mean something. Yeah. And people here take it very seriously, no matter what kind of position you're in, you mm -hmm. know not it, just because your name isn't appearing on a story doesn't mean that you hold some of that responsibility too. did your dad tell you that no even I if you're folding newspapers no i know no he taught me other lessons <laughs> <laughs> hard work he taught me hard work my mom too but <laughs> that's great yeah all right well i think cool. that's a great spot to end on thanks for doing the yeah, podcast thanks for having me hope it was interesting Okay, that was Alahe Azadi, and that is the episode. You can follow Alahe on Twitter, at Alahe Azadi. And while you're at it, why don't you head over to the Washington Post website, check out some of her articles there. And while I'm at it, I just want to say thanks to everyone that's tuned in. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, the Facebook page, wherever you're listening and consuming this podcast i really appreciate it i also just recently started an instagram account whoa kyle they're not just giving those out to anyone at the design of everything so be sure to check that out and if any of my listeners have suggestions for future guests you know an interesting person that i should talk to or maybe you're an interesting person that i should talk to or you have any comments about the show, or you're doing something creative in your own life that you want me to share on the Facebook page, send me an email, thedesignofeverything at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.